So if all of a sudden I ask you to turn in your hymnals to sing, just play, play along. Play along. Let's open in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord God. We thank you that you are a great and mighty God, Lord. We thank you that you love us, Lord. That you sent your Son to die for us, Lord God. That we could know the sweet by and by, Lord. That we could know Zion. We could know your celestial kingdom and your peace, Lord God. Lord, that you would be with us tonight as we come around your word, Lord. That the things that are of import, they would stick and hold fast to us. And we would not be able to leave them behind, Lord. And the things that are less important that we would be able to drop as someone would drop a penny from change, Lord. Lord, that you would be with the speaker, that you would use him to bring forth your words, and that his words would quickly be forgotten, but yours would stay. We thank you in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Do we believe God's word? Is God faithful? Is he sometimes hard for us to see? What do all of life's circumstances mean? Is God really in control? Have you seen God at work? Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 46. Psalm chapter 46. It was uh, one of Martin Luther's favorite psalms. A mighty fortress as our God is written from this passage. I'm not sure if you guys have heard that one before. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surgings. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, and she will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shield with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Like I said before, this was one of Martin Luther's favorite psalms. Let's try and get a little context into where this psalm came from. I know in my headline it says, For the director of music of the sons of Korah, according to Almoth, a song. For me, that wasn't super helpful. But there are some little highlights here that say this had to deal with events, perhaps, around when Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, was invading Israel during King Hezekiah's reign. Let's take a quick peek back there. Second Kings chapter 18. Turn with me if you would. We'll go through this and get a little bit of background into the psalm that we're focusing on tonight. 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 3 through 7. King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father had done. That was not exactly something that was said of all the kings of Israel. 
He removed the high places, smashed down the sacred stories, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made, for at that time the Israelites had been burning incest to it. Hezekiah trusted the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one among him, no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. What a great thing to be said of you. He trusted the Lord, and there was no one like him. It gets even better, folks. He held fast to the Lord and did not cease to follow him. He kept the commands that the Lord had given Moses. And the Lord was with him, and he was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. So we see Hezekiah got rid of the old evils, followed the commands that God had given, and the Lord blessed him. But he had a problem coming his way. He had rebelled against the king of Assyria, who at that point in time was controlling a lot of the land of Israel. So the Assyrian king Sennacherib decided to attack. Verse 13, in the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. So Hezekiah goes out of his way to try and appease the king by giving him money. It says uh, in verse 15, So Hezekiah gave all the silver that was found in the temple of the Lord and in the treasuries of his royal palace. And it says he stripped off the gold which covered the doors and the doorposts. So here Hezekiah is trying to buy, buy the king, by Sennacherib's uh, staying away by giving him gold and silver. And we see that didn't really work very well. Sennacherib sent a commander to tell Hezekiah this in verse 19. This is what the great king, the king of Assyria, says. On what are you basing your confidence of yours? You say you have strategy and military strength, but you only speak empty words. On whom do you depend that you would rebel against me? Look now, are you depending on Egypt, that splintered reed of a staff, which pierces a man's hand and wounds him as he leans on it? Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and all who depend on him. Watch verse 22. And if you say to me, we are depending on the Lord, isn't he the one whose high places Hezekiah removed, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must only worship before the altar? Now come, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria, and he will give you 2,000 horses if you can actually put riders on them. I added the actually, I'm sorry about that, I just couldn't help myself. How can you repulse even one officer of the least of my master's officials, even though you are depending on Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Furthermore, I have come to attack and destroy this place without word from the Lord. The Lord himself told me to march against this country and destroy it. Here we have a serious taunt from the very powerful enemy. Hezekiah is stuck in the city of Jerusalem. An entire army that has been ruling the world is coming to his doorstep. And Hezekiah is Scared. Big time. Big time. The commander goes on. Verse 30. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you into trusting the Lord when he says, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given to the hand of the Assyrians. Do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me, and every one of you will eat from his own vine and drink from his own cistern. So here the commander is talking to the people of Israel shouting to them, saying, don't trust your king, don't trust God. 
Verse 32. Until I come and take your land like a, a grain of new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees, choose life and not death. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for he is misleading you in whatever he says. Whenever he says, the Lord will deliver us. The king of Assyria is not only questioning Hezekiah, he's questioning God. That's where he's really making his problem. Verse 33, has the God of any nation ever delivered his land from the hand of the king of the Assyrians? Were the gods of Hamoth and Arapad, were the gods of Shepharaphim and Hena and Ivan, were they rescued Samaria from my hand? Who of all the gods of these countries have been able to save me from the land? How can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? The king of Assyria is right. None of those other gods were able to stop him. Hezekiah is in Jerusalem. He has a huge problem. He's scared. And he turns to God. Verse chapter 19. When Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and went to the temple of the Lord. When we have a problem in our life, what is our response? Is it to try and fix things ourselves? Is it to try and make things right? We need to look at what Hezekiah did here. He went and sought after the Lord. This should be our response all the time. Now I'm wondering if when he was back in the early parts of chapter 18, rather than rebelling from Assyria, if he sought the Lord, or maybe he sought the Lord and the Lord said, go ahead, rebel from Assyria. How many times in our own lives do we act without asking God, without seeking God? We think, oh, I've got the strength for this one. I can do that. How well does that work? Probably usually not very good. How many times does that actually get us into more trouble than if we had sought God in the first place? Verse 4, chapter 19. This is uh, Hezekiah's counselors are speaking to him. It may be that the Lord your God will hear all the words of the field commander whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God and that he will rebuke him for the words of the Lord your God has heard. Therefore pray for the remnant that still survives. Hezekiah's servants say, you know what, if this God is really the God, then he will probably be upset with what's going on. Now it sounds to me as though the servant of Hezekiah doesn't believe in the Lord God, which is kind of a shame. God doesn't exactly take lightly to having people mess with his stuff. If it's his, he's marked it. Let's see what God has to say through the prophet Isaiah. Verse 6, Isaiah said to them, Tell your master, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid of what you've heard. Now we just heard all the bad things that was going to happen to him. Do not be afraid. Those words which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me, listen, I am going to put such a spirit in him that when he hears a certain report, he will return to his own country, and there I will have him cut down with the sword. Whew. That's great. Everything's good. End of the chapter. We're done. We can go home. Thank you. No. Unfortunately, it didn't quite go that way. Hezekiah has a very positive word from the Lord. This is going to work out in your favor. Unfortunately, just as soon as verse 7 ends, verse 8 starts again. 
Verse 8, when the field commander heard that the king of Assyria had left the town Lachish, where he withdrew, and found the fighting against Libna. Verse 9, now Sennacherib received a report. We heard about the report. And then he comes to him after that. And he taunts him with a second time. Where is it? Oh, yes. Verse 12. Did the gods of the nations that were destroyed by my forefathers, this is the um, field master for Sennacherib, deliver them, the gods of Gozan, Haran, Repezah, and the people of Eden who were in Telazar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sherafapim, or of Hena, or of Ivana? Hezekiah received this letter, and the messengers read it. And he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread the letter out before the Lord. Here Hezekiah has gotten yet another nasty gram from the people of Assyria, saying, we are coming for you. And Hezekiah is still scared. Now we see what Hezekiah has gotten. He's gotten the positive word from the Lord, but he's still bringing it to the Lord. Verse 15, Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are the God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. How often do we think God isn't hearing? God isn't seeing? God, you've got to be seeing what's going on here. There's so much atrocity with, insert whatever you'd like, my life, the nation, the economy. Lord, you have to see this. I'm not sure if you guys know this. Nothing catches God by surprise. We don't open the newspaper and say, oh, I wish the Lord knew about this. He knows. Verse 17, it is true, O Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to these nations and their lands. They have thrown down their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods. Here's the key one. But they were only wood and stone fashioned by men's hands. How many times do we worship wood and stone fashioned by men's hands? Maybe not just us personally. I hope we're talking to all believers here tonight. But there are so many times that we prop up an idol of ourselves, be it our own money or something like that. Verse 19, now, O Lord, our God, deliver us from this land, from his hand, so that all the kingdoms on earth may know that you and you alone are God. God hears Hezekiah's prayer. Verses 20 through 34 go into pretty good-sized detail of what good things are going to happen to the Assyrians and how it's going to work out positively for Hezekiah. Let's jump ahead to verse 35. Now, mind you, Hezekiah is stuck in his city. He's got an army surrounded him who wants to get rid of him and has the means to do it. God has said that he's going to save. He said it a long time ago, and he's now going to do it. Verse 35, that night the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 180,000 men in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh, which is his capital, and he stayed there. So here's the first answer. The present problem was here. Now he's gone. Now remember in the first prophecy, he said that he would have him slain back in his own house. 37, one day, while Sennacherib was worshiping in the temple of his God, his sons came and cut him down with a sword. 
So God's promise that happened way back, Hezekiah wouldn't need to know about him getting slain. Fulfilled. Isn't it great that God keeps his word and fulfills his prophecy? What kind of eyes do we look at our problems with? Hezekiah brought his problems to the Lord and he said, Lord, I need you to look at this. I need you to see what's going on. Do we look at our problems with our own human eyes, through our own human understanding? It reminds me of the story of Elisha and the Syrian army when they surrounded, surrounded the city he was in. And uh, his servant said, Elisha, what are we going to do? We're, we're, we're stuck. We have nothing to do. He was so scared. And uh, Elisha said, don't be afraid. There's more with us than are with them. And the servant couldn't see. He could only see the armies around them. And then uh, Elisha said, Lord, open his eyes. And the gentleman's, the, his servant looked out, and he saw flaming chariots and horses of fire all around them. It's a perspective thing. He couldn't see what was there. Lord, that we would be able to see you're working there, and not just the problems that we see. Not just the kings of Assyria, Lord, but that we would see your chariots of fire there. Let's go back to Psalm 46, now that we've had a little bit of, or frankly, a lot of uh, background on the psalm. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength. God is our refuge and strength. Not money, not our health, not our family. Not our own righteousness, not our good deeds, not our status, not our looks, not the things that we can do, not the things that can be done for us. God is our refuge, refuge and strength. How come so many times, if God is our refuge and strength, do we act like one of those other things is our strength? Or do we take one of those other things as our refuge? What is a refuge? A place of safety? A hiding place could even be a place of ultimate rest, like heaven or the Zion, like we spoke about earlier. Our everyday place of rest. Where is it that you go to find your place of rest? Where is your refuge on an everyday basis? I think of one of the most restful places for me would be a cottage on a lake where there's nobody else there and it's peaceful and quiet. That's how I want to view my relationship with God, that I can come to him and no matter what storms may be swirling around in my life, that's my place of refuge. I go to God and can sit on the porch in a rocking chair, because I like rocking chairs, and have refuge right there. God is our refuge, not only our refuge, but he's our strength. I'm not sure if you guys have ever seen this. There's a world's strongest man competition where they do funny things like you've got these guys that are six times my size and they're picking up cars. They're bench pressing cars and they're moving boulders and how can do it in the fastest. It's just interesting to watch this enormous human strength being exerted in kind of funny and silly ways sometimes. How often do I trust my own strength? Which is weak at best and fleeting. How often do I think to myself, yeah, I can do this, I can handle this. Whatever it is, a problem at work, problem at home. God is so much stronger 
and so much better equipped to handle the situation than I ever dreamed of being. I need to let him do that. We need to let him do that. He is so much stronger, so much better on so many levels. I can't bring someone to salvation. I can't bring that family member who's unsaved. I can't bring them to the cross. I can't bring them to repentance. I can't worry enough to have the future fixed. I can't do enough to make my bank account big enough so I'll be secure. Even if there's something selfish like, that person hurt me. I want to get vengeance on them. I want to do something. God says vengeance is mine. Like we said before, God does not like it when you take his stuff. And frankly, God can do a lot better at making the tables right than we ever thought about doing. Because he sees perfectly. Let him handle it. Let him take care of it. God is our refuge and strength an ever-present help in time of trouble. God is always there, an ever-present help in time of trouble. Even in your darkest hour, your loneliest times, he is right there with you. It reminds me of, uh, there used to be these posters around, and I'm sure they're still around, where the uh, poem about the footprints in the sand, I'm not sure if you guys have heard this, there was uh, you know, two pairs of footprints, and sometimes there was one pair of footprints during hard times, and you know, it was supposed to be you walking with God, and it's, you thought you were left alone at that time, but God was actually carrying you during that time. Ever-present help in times of trouble. Just think about that for a minute. God, the creator of the universe, who spoke, and everything we know came into being, is my help. The God who holds the world in his hand is here to help me. Hold on to that for a while. The almighty God is our refuge and our strength and our help. His thoughts are way higher than my thoughts. His ways are far greater than my ways. And it's hard to grasp some of those things. But if you're ever having a trouble or a hard time, grab a hold to the Almighty God is your help and strength. The God who knows me completely and yet still loves me is my refuge and my strength. So what is our response to having an almighty, all-powerful God, who knows everything about me, he is my refuge, he's my strength, he's my ever-present help. It's a good thing they put in verse 2 for guys like me who would wonder what the response to that would be. So God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. I have no reason to fear, no reason to be afraid. We see these bumper stickers every once in a while, no fear. No worries, man, no worries. It's not because there's not trouble. It's because there's an almighty God who is our refuge and strength. Now, we may need to have fear if he's not our refuge and our strength and our help. 
And frankly, if we don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, we have very good reason to fear. But as Christians, we should have no fear. Jesus said himself, Fear those who can, don't fear those who can harm the body. Fear the one who can cast his soul into hell. If we have only one fear, it should be of the Almighty, and that should be a healthy respect for who he is and what is his. We shouldn't be fearing each other. We shouldn't be fearing, you know, an angry boss or a bad turn in the economy. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And this God, who is almighty, who is powerful, who created the world, not only loves us, but calls us to seek him as Abba Father, as a daddy. The almighty and the respect that he deserves wants us to be like a small child coming to him. That kind of love relationship, like a mother or father with their small child falling asleep on their lap. We're to have no fear. Therefore, we shall have no fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surgings, it does not take us too long to turn on the TV and realize that there are mountains quaking and earth surging. When we think of Haiti, of Japan, of Joplin, Missouri, the physical elements are definitely not in our favor. But this doesn't only speak to just the physical elements. There's, it shows us things that we can't control. We don't need to be afraid of those things. God is sovereign. Nothing takes him by surprise. He is in control. Do we really believe that? Do our actions show that we believe that? Or do they betray our unbelief? In Mark chapter 9, verse 24, when Jesus casts out the gentleman's son's demon, and he says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That should be our prayer every day. I know there's always room for each one of us to believe more, to be able to believe more. Help our unbelief. Help us. Verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. The river, a source of physical and spiritual strength, streams of living water flowing from God himself. In ancient times, like we talked about in Hezekiah's day, he's trapped in a city. If you don't have any water, you're not going to survive very long in a siege in a city that has no water. You're going to surrender rather quickly if you don't have some kind of thing. This here refers to God's streams in our life, but I'm sure it also refers to physical streams and cisterns that were around at the time. If we think about the city of Babylon, that had a river running through it, and it fell because the armies blocked the river and were able to march in. The river gives us physical life. Without water, we perish. Without God's living water, we perish as well. Verse 5, God is within her and she will not fall. God is within the city. God is within us. 
God's Holy Spirit is within us, and we will not fail. We will not fall. God's help is right around the corner for us. This verse here shows us God's presence not only for now, but it's God's is with us right now, and God will help her at the break of day. It also talks about future help. Not only does God take care of us today, but he'll take care of us tomorrow, and he'll take care of us forever. Verse 6, the nations are in an uproar. How true is that? It doesn't take much. You just have to turn on the TV and see the nation's uproar. We see it with angry dictators like Hitler or Nikita Khrushchev when he banged his shoe on the thing saying, we're going to do whatever we're going to do. And Muammar Gaddafi and these folks who are shaking their fist at God and at the world around them. Think of Haman. He tried to put out the Israelites. God was still on the throne then. He was still in control. Think of the Roman Empire and Nero trying to kill all the Christians. God was still God. He was still the refuge and strength. We keep on reading in verse 6. The nations are in uproar. What's God's response to that? Kingdoms fall. God's in control, folks. Do not be afraid. God is in control. You can look at the ruins. I tried to spend some time in Europe. I got to see the Colosseum where Christians were sent out to die. It is now a big tourist trap. The Bible that we all read from is nearly exactly the same, if not exactly the same, as when it was written on the first day it was written. Now, granted, it's been translated and things like that, but empires fall, God's word remains. And Christ put his stock in that, and so do I. Amen. Verse 6. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. This is the same voice of the same God who with his words spoke out creation can just as quickly speak its demise. He can remove it just like that. This has definitely got to be a foreshadowing towards the ultimate end that God will put towards the earth when he creates his new heaven and his new earth. Verse 7, the Lord God Almighty is with us. Look around. Is there anything super special about the people in this room? Some of us are strong. Some of us are good looking. Some of us are real smart. The Lord Almighty is with us. We may not be too much to look at, but the Lord Almighty is with us. We may not be the smartest or richest people on the planet, but the Lord Almighty is with us. If you have a problem, if there's something you need, the Lord Almighty is with us. Let's say that together. The Lord Almighty is with us. Therefore, we will not fear. Oh, how quickly do we forget these things, though? It's like Ricky was speaking early this morning about how the Israelites saw God part the sea and move mountains, and there was a pillar of cloud and fire. Yet they forgot. I think sometimes we do the same. We know that God is there. We know he was with us. 
and we turn around and forget what we just knew. Lord, help us not to forget. Verse 8, come and see the works of the Lord. What a great way for us to rehearse and not forget. Look at all the things that God's done. One of the ways we do that is by reading his word. We read the accounts of how God has taken a David and beaten a Goliath. There's no way that should have happened. Elijah, one man versus 400 and some odd prophets of Baal? Who's going to win that battle? Oh, wait. Daniel in the lion's den. These are hungry, angry lions. And a little old man. Jonah and a large whale? Fish? There's so many more that are contained in the Bible. We have all these works that the Lord has done for us too. Even the people sitting in this room. I'm sure if we spent the next 45 minutes to two hours, we could easily talk about all the wonderful things that God has done for each one of us here. The Lord Almighty is with us. Come and see the works of the Lord. Verse 8 continues to go on. The destructions that he has brought on the earth. He makes the wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. The Lord God is almighty and powerful. And as much as man rails against him, man will not prevail. This is definitely a foreshadowing of that day when God makes the scales ultimately right. Takes all the wrongs and injustices and turns them. Do we look forward to the day when the rapture comes and we're called to heaven? Do we long for that day? I remember, I guess it was May, when the gentleman said the rapture's coming on this date and he set a date. Part of me wanted him to be true. I kind of figured he wasn't because... I read the book and it says no one should know the day or the hour or something. I forget, something like that. But I wanted it to be true. We know the day is coming. But because we don't know exactly the day and we think it's a far off, we kind of forget about it. It's like when the British took over Hong Kong. And they said, ah, what day are we going to get? Ah, 1999, that's never coming. 1999 is come and gone. Like the year 2000, oh, there's going to be all this crazy stuff when the year 2000 comes. Come and gone. The day of the Lord. If it was going to come in like a New Year's or a 4th of July or a birthday party, part of me thinks we'd be more excited about it. But because it's coming in with stealth and it's coming in like a thief in the night, we don't know. We don't know when it's coming. But let's not become complacent just because it kind of is on the quieter end. Let's not lose that joy for when he comes, that joy of his appearing. We should be excited about heaven. We should be excited about when we go there. We shouldn't be so comfortable here that we're not eagerly anticipating to get there. Verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. Yeah, this one hits me. This is one of the main reasons why I wanted to speak from this passage tonight. So many times we run frantically from this to that to that to this. There's so much business to be done. So many things to do. Good things, even godly things. Be still. 
We need to stop what we're doing. We need to know God. I wonder how much more effective we would be in the things that we do for God if we started by being still and knowing God. Look at that in your own life. I know I need to look at it in mine. Being still. I think God put the Sabbath in the Scriptures for a reason. A time where he didn't want you to work. Where he wanted you to be still. So many times it's, we forget about it. We've got something to do. There's you know, a great baseball game on on Sunday or whatnot. We don't take the time to be still and know that he is God. It's kind of like the Israelites when they were told to be still and watch in front of the Red Sea. Here they were all frittering. They were what's going to happen? There's this big army. Be still and know that I am God. The Almighty is on your side. You're being led by a pillar, a cloud, and fire. Be still. Let him do it. Is our own busyness keeping us from being still and knowing God? Are we not being still enough? To know God. Does our relationship with God get put on hold because of the busy things that we're doing for Him or for others? I know sometimes we feel like we're the only footprints in the sand, but is that because we haven't chosen to be still and know that He's there? We need to stop and smell the roses, they say. Good. Do stop and smell the roses. Take a look at them. God made those. Look at the intricate detail. Be still. Know that He is God. He created those. Look at the way things like that fit together. A bee, a a bug, something you would squash on your way while you're walking to your other thing that you wanted to do. Take a look. Look at the stars. See how they fit together. Look at the vastness of space. Be still and see God's great handiwork. Look in the mirror. I know that's dangerous for some of us. Look in the mirror. You are a wonderful creation of God. Look at how your hands work. I was watching a show, uh, Answers in Genesis. They were talking about the different hands for the being a chimpanzee and a human hand and how certain things couldn't be the way they were saying they were going to be because they don't grip onto things right. Just the intricate detail of that one small piece. We have millions upon billions of pieces that God has put together. Be still. Know that I am God. Be blown away by the fact that the Almighty God loves you. Don't ever forget that. Be still and think about that. Take that with you. Now, being still doesn't mean we don't do anything. On the contrary, being still gives us focus and purpose. It's a place to begin. It's not a place to end. Jesus makes that painfully clear in the parable of the talents. He gave the one ten and the one five, the other gentleman one. The one guy went and buried it. He was certainly still. But he didn't know God. He kept on saying he was a cruel master, things like that. He didn't know God. 
He may have been still, but he didn't know God. By being still, we're able to focus on God and know the purpose for our actions, which is his glory, not our own. Be still. Like a runner going to run the Boston Marathon can't just arrive in Boston and start running. He has to be still, know the course, and then run. We shouldn't be any different. We shouldn't be so excited to get to doing that we're not still and know that he's God. Continuing in verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. Times may look hard. Times may look bleak. Things may be lousy. The economy may be bad. Everything may be going wrong for Christianity today. God's word is still true. And God says he will be exalted among the nations. Always remember that. He would be exalted in the earth. Verse 11. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I know we've talked about this a lot tonight. The Lord is with us. I know it's been said before, we believe the Bible is true. We believe it's God's word. And I know I've heard the saying, I'm not sure where, God said it, I believe it. That settles it. I want to take a different spin on that tonight. God said it. That's right. That settles it. It's done. God said it. It's done. I believe it. God is my refuge and strength. He said it. That's what it is. I believe that. God's word is true and unfailing. Be still and know that he is God. He is our refuge. He is our strength. He is our ever-present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, no matter what. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for the truths of your scripture, Lord. Lord, that you would just be with us. Lord, that we would come from this place, Lord God. We will be challenged, we will be changed, Lord. Not because of things that were said, but because you came and communed with us, Lord God, and your word has spoken to us, Lord. Lord, we love you, we thank you. Protect us as we go from this place. In your son Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.